0: Is straight to the source,
1: your destination for food, views, and big ideas. Brought to you by two of the best in the business, Tonya Barr and Lucy Allon. Join them to discover some of Australia's most dynamic food, hospitality, and agribusiness leaders.
2: Hello and welcome to Food, Views and Big Ideas. I'm Tonya Barr.
0: And I'm Lucy Allen. And this is the podcast from us here at Straight to the Source. In this podcast, we
2: will be introducing you to the people who are driving our food and hospitality industry forward. Whether it be on the land, in the water, in the kitchen, or from the boardroom.
0: Each of our guests are playing a significant role in the evolution of Australia's food identity and culture. And we want you to know who they are, their views and their big ideas.
2: Welcome back to Food Views and Big Ideas. I'm Tanya Barr, and we've gone straight to the source today, to the Riverina in New South Wales. We're going to meet farmer Frank Delbon, who runs one of the most diverse agribusinesses in Australia. Frank produces everything from large-scale rice crops to apple cider vinegar. Alongside his daughter, Natasha, this duo, and I might say dynamic duo, also make award-winning extra virgin olive oil and condiments. Frank's motivation is simple, to feed people. His story is one of endurance, passion, and integrity. Frank, can you tell me, how long have you been farming?
1: Uh, we started farming in 1970. Uh, previous to that, born in Griffith, uh, grew up on a little two acre uh, grape property. Um, Dad passed away when I was 14, so I had to sort of grow up grow up fairly quickly and um, help my mum with her little, you know, with doing the grapes, the table grapes. So it was quite a big job and started a motor mechanic apprenticeship, finished that and then uh, met up with Jan and um, we, um, I used to come out and help her parents that owned a property or owned the property. And uh, so got to enjoy the outdoors and a new challenge. And uh, so in 1970, I gave up what I was doing and um, started with her, her dad. So that was the start of my farming career.
2: So let's talk about, you just mentioned the Riverina. Now that's a region within New South Wales.
1: It is um, a great area. It was first developed in uh, early 1920s uh, when they built Burrinshuk Dam and had soldiers returning from the First World War. And so they started opening up land in Griffith. Little blocks didn't work very well, far too small. And so as they expanded and made them bigger and made them more, uh, more sustainable for people to farm, So that's where it all started and um, basically started with horticulture vegetables. And then about 1930 sometime, one of the people that was working for the um, Murrumbidgee Irrigation Commission went to California and uh, saw rice growing there, which very much similar valleys, you know, in temper- temperate and also soils and came back and um, they trialled it and looked like it was going to work. So that was the birth of the rice industry. So, um, and that, that expanded. So it's the Riverina and especially Griffith, it's a major um, area for growing food, a lot of vegetables um a lot of oranges, a lot of rice. So it's a very, very important part of the um, of the food the food supply for New South Wales and Australia.
2: You mentioned table grapes. Do you still have table grapes?
1: No, no. Well, when yeah, no, we sold that block. And um, yeah, you know, obviously there, I learned some skills of what farming was all about at a younger age. Yeah.
2: I mean, you've been farming rice in particular for fifty three years, if my maths right. Yep. That's correct. And is there a misconception about rice growing in Australia? Because a lot of folks don't even know that we grow rice. And the ones that do, you know, there are some that wonder about the water usage.
1: Yeah, yeah. And look, uh, and I think going back, say, so 30 years ago where, you know, the systems that were in place were pretty arcade and uh, there was a lot of water wasted. Um and if I can give you a little quick history of my development, when we did buy the property, we actually started to redevelop it um, in 1985. And uh, so we started land forming. We put in recycled systems, uh, which meant that um, no water was wasted and uh, the efficiency of irrigation improved mentally. So that was a big you know, big start for us to make sure that we were going to be sustainable for long term. And, um, yeah, so our production increased, uh, our water use was a lot less, but also the rice industry, um, through Sunrise, um, they developed some new varieties, which meant that the water use was um, very, very efficient and uh, to the point now where they're, they're looking at producing one and a half tonnes of rice per megalitre, which is quite exceptional. And um, and with my travels to the US, um, we it proved to me that as Australian rice growers, we are probably best in the world for our efficiency and also our yields and quality as well. So, in answering your question, yes, I think um, people. Um, I know we you know, rice will still use water, but it's very, very efficient in what it does use.
2: Now, on the flip side of that, the amount of rain that we've had has been extraordinary. How has that impacted the crops?
1: Oh, uh, it has impacted uh, quite badly. we um, this year we've probably only got um, twenty or thirty percent of our crop in. Um, it's been very, very wet. So. And it's, you know, not only for me, but, you know, for the whole industry. So it's a lot of water. that's um, as you know, heading down the rivers and impacting on a lot of people. And, um, yeah, we can't utilise it because of our uh, soils are so saturated and we can't actually plant.
2: When will we see the implications of that?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think for the rice industry, because of the, the business itself um, – you know they've got a mill in California and um, one in Vietnam that, that supplies a lot of the sort of food, uh, the rice for the world market. Um, for sunrise, so I think that uh, they'll they'll have enough product in the system where hopefully you know prices won't move too much.
2: Are you in a co-op or how does that work from a licensing point? Yeah, of look,
1: it was it is it was a co-op and. It, and now it's on the ASX, and um, you know it's it's a it's a fantastic business. Rice growers, as such, they 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 are all owners of the business, and also a lot of other people have become owners because it's a very very good food business. Uh, I think we export to about seventy five countries in the world, and the the brand is well recognised well over as um, clean clean green provider of food so it's it's uh, it's, yeah, it's an industry owned and uh, but now on the ASX
2: what advice would you give a young farmer that wants to get into rice farming?
1: well if I can answer the question um, in a broader scale I think anyone that wants to get into irrigation farming and are in the right areas for with the right soils and water I think it'd be a great industry to get into. Uh, the beauty about rice is that it it it's a you know it's a crop that you can plant when you've got the commodity of water and if it don't well then you can go and grow something else. Um, it's a great industry. Um, it's um, and it provides a lot of food for a lot of people. Um, and I yeah I think it's a great industry to be able to be part of.
2: How many rice farmers are there in the region?
1: Yeah, look I think there's about a thousand. Rice growers. It was more, um, but then as water became um, a very rare commodity, a lot of people shifted to other crops that were more suited for their soil types. But around about a thousand growers.
2: So this might be a crazy question, but do you guys are you guys capturing the rainfall now? Do you have tanks like to just kind of squirrel
1: uh, some water away for the future? Yeah, I guess the amount of rain we've had. Uh, the the amount of rain we've had, we've captured as much as we can, but mm. the, basically the rest of it gets, um, it gets, flows down the creeks and finishes up in a river somewhere.
2: What other influences would affect your crop yield?
1: Well, obviously, um, temperature, and this year with the uh, rain we've been having, um, we've, it's been a really cool start to. Um, to spring and uh, only about a week away from summer, and it certainly ain't feeling like summer. Um, and also, growing conditions can be a real problem when you've got a lot of wet soils and trying to get plants established. So, there's always the challenges when it comes to the rice. And then, with other crops, um, you know, be it faba beans, cotton, whatever, if you can't get in there and plant, well, then that is a major problem. But, yeah, temperatures are, play a major part.
2: You've been growing rice for 53 years. And then at what point did you plant your first olive trees?
1: Well, uh, back in 2000, uh, we had uh, expanded our area. We bought some more land. And, uh, and one of the properties that we're actually leasing had some olive trees. And um, we thought, okay, um, what can we do with these uh, rather than let them go to waste? So that's when we started uh, that business of uh, Morella Grove.
2: Okay, so you, you took over an existing
1: farm. Yeah, that's correct.
2: And what varieties were growing? What olive varieties?
1: Uh, there was some Frantoios and also some Grigiolos, And um, um, and also, yeah, there were two main varieties that, that were planted on that, on that uh, grove. So it was a bit of an, you know, a bit of an adventure because I had absolutely no experience at all with with olive growing. But um, yeah, it, it you soon learn. And uh, we got some we I think for the first year we got about five ton of product and got that pressed. And then it was like okay, well we got some oil. What are we going to do next? So yeah, we got a label. Jan went to work and got some help and got a label established and um and then went slowly out there in the market to find out if we could sell it.
2: You mentioned, you know, you didn't know anything about growing olives. So did you go to YouTube or did you reach out to experts to learn how to grow olives and harvest olives and then we'll get into the Morella Grove whole brand, the beautiful gourmet brand soon. But yeah, where did you gain that knowledge? Because you just can't, you know, pull it out of your hat.
1: Yeah. Department of Ag at the time had a um, an agronomist that actually specialise in olive trees. So uh, I made contact with him. And so uh, there was a couple other people that were growing or are growing olives in the Riverina. So I made contact with them and spoke to other people that weren't exactly growing olives but uh, grew in, were growing permanent permanent horticulture. And, uh, yes, yeah, so it doesn't take long to be able to get a, a a bit of an outline to what you need to do. And um, as long as you're prepared to ask, there's always someone with an answer.
2: So are you selling table olives as
1: well? Uh, No, we can, but we just haven't ventured into that yet. Um, I guess we've just been too busy with our farming and also um, yeah, just concentrating with the oil. But there is a market for it. We do have some trees that would suit, so... I'll um, yeah we'll see where where in the next couple of years Natasha's going to take it on.
2: Do you have a team of locals that you hire, or are you doing everything yourself, or people within your family involved?
1: Yeah, look, about five years ago, Natasha, and my daughter, was um, in between. She'd been in corporate life in Sydney and was in between jobs and. I asked if she wanted to come on as part of the Morella Grove business, and um, yeah, she decided to do that. So that that brought another member of the family in, and uh, so she's been very good at you know doing all the marketing and also expanding the business. As far as the uh, the farming side of it, we we do that most of that ourselves. I just get a bit of help in when we when we need it uh, when we time for harvest, uh, we've got a contractor that comes in to shake the trees and then we take it to a processor to get the oil processed. So, yeah, you rely on a lot of other people to help you with it. So when
2: you bought the orchard, was it called Morella Grove or did you come up with no, the name? No,
1: the property, the property itself is called Mar- Morella. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we thought, oh, well, we'll just call it Morella Grove. and So that's where that started.
2: From a technology point of view and pressing the olives, what have you learned about that, or how do you
1: go about it? Yeah, look, I thought of at the time was, you know, do I want to spend a lot of money um, putting in a processing plant? Um, So the answer to that was no. And uh, so I looked around to see what was about, and there there was a guy down at Drillery, which is about 100 kilometres away, that had a state-of-the-art plant and owns a lot of olive trees himself, and um, he does a bit of contract pressing. So, yeah, we went down and seen him, and he was very happy to do it for us. So yeah, that means we don't have to worry about um, that part of the business. We just get someone with the right gear and the, the experience and the knowledge to do it for us.
2: So, what about chemicals? What about you know sprays and that sort of thing? What's your what's your viewpoint on that?
1: Yeah, look, we're very fortunate to live in the arid environment, and you wouldn't say it now because it's been so wet. But you know, we we can mulch um, our tr- our grasses, and as far as the trees, I've basically never sprayed them for any diseases. We haven't got any pests, so our um, our chemical usage is you know, basically zero so we um, yeah. yeah it's a good thing about living in the riverina being a you know semi desert arid area it's um, we don't have a lot of issues that a lot of other people do have
2: can you please tell our listeners how many different crops you grow
1: some of crops which are planted normally in october and then harvested in um, in say april may uh, rice, uh, we have grown some cotton, uh, we have grown some corn. Uh, winter crops, uh, which are planted uh, May, June, is father doings. Uh, we do canola for seed production and also wheat and barley for seed production as well. So we've got a fair spectrum, a broad spectrum of crops we grow.
2: Now, are they sold as commodities into the market?
1: Uh, the wheat is, um, flavor beans also, but more so for um, food production. Uh, the canola and, um, and other wheats that we do grow for seed companies, we do the, the hybrid cross for the company, and that becomes seed for farmers um, the following year. So we, we play a fairly important part of uh, seed production. Do
2: you find the camaraderie strong? Like, do you guys work collectively together or do you guys all kind of stay in your own sandbox?
1: Yeah, look, it's, it's interesting. We, I think we do collectively do things, um, like with the rice industry especially. Well, that's part of um, Sunrise, where most people, you know, will deliver to Sunrise. So you um, as a group, uh, with wheat, uh, yeah, I, I think that people... Um, use that as a commodity that, that, that sells for, for making flour and also for stock feed. Favour beans, um, same story. It, not much of it is grown in the area, but there is grown. And then canola is, you know, obviously it's a big, big deal at the moment because there's such a shortage of it. So I think uh, we play a fairly important part of um, value adding to, to, especially food.
2: So let's talk about value adding. When we th- when I think about Morella Grove and your beautiful range of products that you I mean you're growing the olives down there in the Riverina, you're pressing those olives into an award-winning extra virgin olive oil and then you've also got what is it caramelized balsamic vinegars and apple yeah. cider vinegars and and even beautiful soap.
1: Yeah, it's so, you know, with the the growing all of that um of that part of the business. When I first started, it was just basically olive oil, um, you know, because time was a big thing, but also it was just finding the market. And um, as that expanded, uh, we had people ask us if we could make some olive oil soap. So we did some research and found some people that would help us with it. So that sort of grew and then um, had an opportunity to do some caramelised balsamic and. Um, so it just added to the business. And then when Natasha came on board, that's when, you know, she was able to really expand it, which now we've got bleacher we've got apple, we've got uh, cherry as far as the balsamis go. Um, we've expanded the soap. And also now she's doing uh, chilli relish, um, some sardine, some peri-peri, And uh, so she's really, really expanded that side of it and also doing a lot of gifts and so forth. So,
2: Well, I'm seeing the peri-peri and the sauté on pub menus more and more because you're doing food service as well as retail,
1: which is fabulous. Yeah, that's that's been expanded and that's really starting to take off, Uh, especially the the one that's really been a standout is the Chili Relish. A lot of um, restaurants are using that and and have been very, very popular.
2: We you know, Lucy and I, we've we've had the luxury of coming down to your farm and we've been down there quite a few times and it's wonderful to see you guys go from strength to strength. I mean, congratulations on your recent awards with um the Sydney Royal Fine Foods. That um that was quite something else. You know, you guys did really well in that in that show.
1: Yeah, we did. And um, you know, it's just a I think it's a credit to myself and Natasha and Jan that, you know, we.
2: We just uh, encourage you to enter and we're there and, you know, in your um court. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I think it's, uh, it, it is. It's a bit of a pat on the back for, you know, we, to, for what we do. And I, I think we, yeah, we, we love our product obviously, and uh, we enjoy doing it. And it's just nice to get the gratitude say so that yeah, it's, it's good, good product. So if, I,
2: if I can just chime in here for the listeners, the Sydney Royal Fine Food is a competition that happens every year and it's put on by the Royal Agricultural Society. And it really is an opportunity for producers across the country that are value adding and also primary producers to enter their products. And each of them are judged um, not by packaging, not by name, but by pure quality, eating, color, texture. So they're judged by four, um, experienced sensory judges. And to get a silver, bronze, gold, or, or even been champion, which is amazing in its own right, um, to get any of those awards is quite difficult. And it's, there's a lot of information that's fed back to the producer too. And Morella Grove, Recently entered and um, took home medals and and also took home some some guidance.
1: Yeah, and you know we're very proud of the fact that uh, we did we did get some medals and I guess what it does it gives you it just gives you a tick to say that we're in the right direction and we we we've got a very good product.
2: You've got an amazing range and I, it gives us a uh, great pleasure to see it go from strength to s- strength yep. and see it appear in cafes and, you know, and the, the gift boxes you mentioned and in homes and your online sales. And if people are looking for Morella Grove, I mean, you can go online, you can go on Instagram, you're on all those channels.
1: Yep. And that's thank you Natasha. But I think the other thing also that um, some of the people we supply in the food services. They just tell us how much they love their product, and also their clients um, also comment on, "Oh my God, uh, where'd you get that all?" Mm. From? So that that it's a feedback that that gives you um, yeah, gives you a lot of satisfaction.
2: So what inspires you, Frank?
1: Yeah, uh, I think, and I I was only thinking about this this morning. You know, autumn when harvest time is happening, and and especially with with rice harvest and and you have a good day and um, and you know for that day's harvest uh once it's been milled and packaged and sent off and and for someone to sit down and have a bowl or a plate of of rice that will probably feed half a million people you know for that day's harvest one one bowl of rice and that that gives you a lot of satisfaction with what you've done is that you're, you know, you're value adding and also sub- feeding people, and that that gives me a lot of satisfaction. And I think that's probably been, you know, it's been my push all the way along is that we've tried to do everything as the best we can, and we've, I guess, we've been very good at what we do. And you see the amount of food that, you, know, you never think about it until. You know, harvest time especially is okay what i'm doing here what it's doing for for not only australia but also what's probably going overseas and someone's sitting down and enjoying your product
2: it's like being part of a bigger purpose
1: absolutely yeah so that gives you a lot of satisfaction. and i guess the other satisfaction you get from farming you know i mean it's got a lot of negatives and it can be really tough at times and very challenging But, you know, you especially if you believe in trying to believe it in a lot better way or position than when you first got it, is that, you know, you're developing land that's going to be sustainable for future generations, and that's very important as well. So that that gives you a lot of satisfaction.
2: I love that. When you see your products and all your hard work being appreciated – whether it's in Australia or overseas. I mean, that's got to be pretty satisfying.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you, you, after a while, it just becomes part of your day and you don't take much notice. But, yeah, when you obviously, you know, there are a lot of people who sit down and use your product and and they keep coming back, so they're obviously enjoying it. And, um, yeah, you should take a quiet moment and think about that and think, okay, yeah, I've, it's been I've had a really productive life in in helping, helping feed the world, I guess.
2: Well, in, in wrapping up, is there anything you would like our listeners to know or to think about when, you know, when they're buying their Australian-grown food?
1: Yeah, I, I say to people, um, you know, you explain about olive oil and, you know, how it's made and, um, and all about quality and how to keep it and make sure that, you know, uh, and I say the most important thing is that you don't have to buy my oil, but try and buy Australian-made oil because we've got very, very good quality. Uh, we've got, um, you know, basically it's a brand, new, a new industry compared to what happens in in Europe. And um, and I think that Australia are very fortunate to have some really good quality olive oils. And I say to people, yeah, just Use plenty of it because it's very good for your health. But, yeah, if you can buy Australian, well, then, yeah, that would be best.
2: Love it. Is there anything else you want to touch on, Frank?
1: The only other thing I would like to say is that from what I'm seeing, uh, especially for uh, the amount of graduates that are going through now universities for doing ag science, that I think there's a great future in agriculture. So a lot of young people um, are taking it on, which is fantastic. So, and it's a great industry. I, I, it has its moments, and, um, and there's always issues to deal with. But generally, I think it's a great industry to belong. And they play, as I explained, we play a very important part on uh, on keeping people, people's tummies full and also having clothes on their backs.
2: Well, are you mentoring any students, any ag students at um, the moment?
1: I am actually. I've got a young guy that's come on board with us, and. Um, His parents are large area farmers, dry area farmers, and this guy has decided to come back and wants to get into uh, irrigation agriculture, and uh, so he's come on board with me. And I think, um, and it's been always my desire to, to when I decide to retire from farming, that I can pass the baton on to a young person that will continue, and I think that's going to work out for me. So yeah, it's made it's obviously gonna be really good to be able to pass it on to someone that's gonna be there around for another, you know, hopefully fifty years to to keep that business going.
2: Mm, wonderful. Well thank you thank you so much for the for the chat this morning and for sharing your insights and your story and your passion for the land and for the Riverina.
1: Oh it's a great area. It is and um, yeah sit down and just work out how much produce leaves here on a daily basis That's quite amazing well, it's not quite
2: called amazing. the food bowl for nothing
1: that's exactly right <laughs> yeah.
2: all right well you have a great day okay and thank you so much for your time and for the chat
1: thanks Danielle.
2: well thank
0: you so much for tuning in with us today we really hope you enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed the conversation you'll find links to anything mentioned in today's chat in the show notes We have some more extraordinary guests lined up and we would love you to join us again. So please make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss future episodes. We'd also love to hear any of your feedback, good or bad, or perhaps you've got a guest you'd love to hear from. You can let us know. And the best way to stay up to date with what we're doing, who we're talking to and where you'll find us around the country is to become part of the Straight to the Source community at straighttothesource.com.au forward slash community. Until next time.